Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Primordial Soup Pop. My name is Aaron Johnson. And I'm Rustin Perret. Every two weeks, Russ and I get together to discuss topics in ecology, natural history, and evolution. We pick a sort of larger central topic, and then each of us picks a smaller story to share with the other person. Yes, the caveat here being that neither of us knows what story the other person has picked to tell. Yes, so it's always a surprise. And this week's topic is invasive species. Yes, this was your topic, wasn't it? You picked this one? I think it it was my pick, but I think we both wanted to do it. Yeah, that's fair. I I did already kind of have a topic in mind when you said invasive species, so... Yeah, and I would totally come back to this because there are just so many. Yeah, there were a few others I could have talked about as well. I'm really looking forward to my piece. Okay, so I believe I am up first. That you are. Go ahead. Okay, so I think... My topic is not super unknown, but there's more moving pieces to it than people think. And I'm going to be talking about the cocaine hippos. Have you heard of them? No, I have not. (laughs) Okay, well, you're in for a treat. Oh, boy. (laughs) So there's a lot of backstory to these guys. And no, they're not crackhead hippopotamus. These are invasive hippos in Colombia. Well, of course they're not crackhead hippopotamus, Aaron. They're snorting powder cocaine. <laughs> they're, they're not co- addicts. They're cocaine hippopotamuses, Aaron. They're not crackhead hippopotamuses. Come on. No, they'd be crackheads if they were in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. so uh, I said there's some background for this one, and yeah, here we go. So Pablo Escobar was a drug lord and <laughs> terrorist of Colombia, <laughs> South America. <laughs> Starting the episode of, of a, the invasive species episode out by talking about Pablo Escobar. Like, yes, the, the invasive species you're talking about is Pablo Escobar. Guys. Yeah, he's not the species, but he's part of the introduction. Uh, often known as the king of cocaine and the richest criminal in history with a net worth of about 30 billion, I think roughly 60 billion today's currency. At the height of his power, Pablo Escobar had a structure known as the Hacienda Napoles. I hope I pronounce it correctly. This featured many expensive installations like sculpture gardens, dinosaur statues, a racetrack, collection of antique cars, decommissioned military vehicles, a private airport, a brothel, and, of course, a menagerie of wild animals. Wait, 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 wait. He had his own private brothel. That's that's the takeaway? He had an airport. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, and a I, racetrack. Okay, okay, so I understand. Have a brothel. No, 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 no. I, if, if, let me explain. If you have $30 billion, it makes a lot of sense why you'd want to have those things on your property, like why you'd want to have your own airport, why you'd want to have your own racetrack. But like, why, why are you bringing in people that you then pay to have sex with you, like on your property? Like that doesn't make sense. Yeah, maybe he wants to entertain his guests. I I guess that just seems really strange. It just, it just sounds. I don't weird get how that. that's your takeaway. He had his own private airport and a racetrack and military a, vehicles. I'm doing a terrible job explaining what my uh, my concern here. Do you know what this is again? This is the how if if your power goes out, call a plumber. It's this all over again. 
What was that about again? I don't even remember. <laughs> that was about the locusts. You said you had a weird, like, impromptu speech about the importance of plumbers. Oh, well, plumbers are very important. Well, they, okay, they are, but we're not, we're moving past this. (laughs) Gotta have a good plumber. So Pablo Escobar had his own zoo. Okay, right. Now, now the pieces are being put together. So after his death in the 1990s, this property actually became a sort of tourist attraction. It it still is today. A lot of it was torn down and repurposed. Uh, They did not keep the brothel, though I bet that would have brought in a good bit of money. Yeah, that that's the that's the one part of this property that was probably making him money as opposed to like the airport that he was privately using and spending untold millions on. Like I said there was a zoo and eventually it became too expensive to maintain the upkeep of the zoo animals, so many of them like the zebras, elephants, giraffes, etc., were all transferred to other zoological facilities. Except the hippos. Why? Have you seen a hippo? They were too difficult to deal with. Wait, but there are like zoos with hippos, right? There are zoos with hippos, but these hippos weren't really in an enclosure. They just kind of had free reign of a lake. Oh. The government officials just decided, you know what? That's a bit too much effort. We're going to leave these be. And that's where the problem begins. Wait, then how did they get the hippos there in the first place? I mean, I don't how they got them there. I don't know. But, I mean, if you are renovating Pablo Escobar's massive estate and there's some hippos giving you trouble, you're probably thinking, you know what? Maybe we should just focus on getting all the cocaine stash out of the floorboards. Yes and no, because, like, sure, the cocaine is important. You want to get you want to take care of that stuff for sure. But it's a lot easier to do that if you don't have fucking hippos charging at you all the time. Right. Well, the hippos, I think they mainly stayed within the lake, but that's an issue because you have to go out into the water and get them. The other animals were in smaller enclosures. Easier to get to them. Oh, okay. Wait, you're telling me they couldn't just like set up like nets over across the lake or like herd them with like boats and stuff? Well, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, Rustin, because they didn't do anything. Damn, they really must have gotten into Pablo's stash if they couldn't think about these pretty pretty straightforward solutions, if you ask me. So hippopotamus, also known as the common hippo or hippopotamus amphibious, is a large semi-aquatic mammal from Africa found in a variety of rivers, swamps, and marshes. I think most people know what a hippo is. Probably, probably. But if you don't, they're one of the largest herbivorous mammals alive today with males reaching a size of just over 3,300 pounds on average and females being a bit less, just under 3,000. Yeah, and the average would be a lot lower if it weren't for Moto Moto from Madagascar 2. That He's just a... so big, he makes up a third of the sample size. He really does. Just an absolute unit. Anyways, hippopotamus. Uh, yeah, it's a hippo. I think we've all seen a hippo. If you haven't, look it up. They're pretty cool. Or just get out more. Or just get out more. Currently, the hippopotamus is listed as vulnerable, meaning it is not considered endangered, but has the potential to become so. The range historically covered the majority of Africa, and I think they even made it into parts of Europe like way back when, like before the dawn of humanity. And now the range is restricted to several smaller populations in Africa. But none in Europe. None in Europe, no. Okay. It doesn't really count. And now South America, apparently? And now South America. So with all that aside, let me just state that hippos are absolute units of the animal kingdom. 
Oh, yeah. These guys have skin that can be almost two inches thick, teeth over a foot long, and they are known to be very aggressive. Now, even though their diet is largely made up of plant matter, they will regularly attack and kill animals that threaten their territory. You know, an animal is pretty badass when it's an herbivore that lions just want no part of. Exactly. Lions will try to attack elephants, but they will not fuck with hippos. So hippos kill on average about 500 people a year. This is a result that I got from a BBC newspaper article. So I'm not quite... They ranked it like not in the top 20 deadliest animals, but they also ranked animals based on how they could transmit disease. So, of course, they're going to get bumped down the list. I would say these are one of the deadliest animals. Yeah, yeah, easily. Like I said, only 500 people a year. You may not think this is a lot. Lions kill on average about 22. Yeah, and that's a lion. That's what people are like historically. They think, oh, watch out for the lions. And when we consider that hippos also have a fairly small range nowadays, that number is pretty high. Yeah, yeah. And they'd also be inhabiting like relatively rural areas where there aren't a lot of people too, right? Yeah, that's true. So it's not like they're crossing paths with people all the time. So of course, like feral dogs are going to kill people more. But feral dogs, you can also find them in cities. You know, you can find it in someone's backyard. You don't just find the hippo back there. So hippos, lethal. When they're coming up with these stats, do they, like, if you get bit by a feral dog and you die because you got rabies from the feral dog, do they give, like, that mortality to the feral dog or to the rabies, or do they, like, split it down the middle? Well, the list I found was off of animals, and rabies is a disease. So they'd give it to the dog? I think they give it to the dog, but rabies is also very easily treatable nowadays. That's true. But I'm just saying that is definitely like a little bit of an advantage that feral dogs have in this particular statistical category, right? Well, of course, on the list, number one was like mosquitoes. And then you had like right. certain flies and certain freshwater snails. But these were all things that could transmit disease. Right. Oh, okay, so gotcha. they weren't actually killing the people. Yeah. Hippos don't have that benefit. And they're still killing lots of people. So they're still killing lots of people. 500 considering like how narrow their ranges and how often they interact with people. That's that's not good. So, yeah, they don't even need to be transmitting diseases. I read one news report about where one hippo sank a boat and killed 13 people. Oh, my gosh. So I don't know if it physically killed everyone. I think most of them ended up drowning from the hippo attacking the boat. I would love to see a Jaws spinoff about a rampaging hippo in the water. Well, that's probably more accurate because they kill way more than sharks do. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying I'd love to see it. That would be that would actually be a pretty good movie, probably. Yeah, and when you take into account that sharks, like, of all the shark attacks, it's not done by just one species of shark. Pretty sure it's yeah. like bull sharks, maybe tiger sharks. Yeah, tiger sharks, great whites. Yeah, Great whites, that's yeah. You divide it up over a couple of species. There's only one... Well, there's a pygmy hippo, but not the ones killing. This is just the common hippo that's killing people. The hippo. That's just one species. So again, that's pretty bad. Just saying, make that movie. It would be a great movie and far more accurate. Yeah, it actually would be. So these guys are known to charge or capsize fishing boats, like I just mentioned. If you go online, there's a neat little video. There's a couple guys fishing, and you didn't know where they were fishing until the incident happened. They could have been anywhere. They're fishing on a boat, and you see something large hit the hull of the boat. They all shake. They almost fall out. As soon as that happens, they all draw out guns. 
these guys were all packing heat. Specifically because they were in hippo waters. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I'd I'd be packing a shotgun if I was in hippo waters. <laughs> and they immediately started looking around for wherever it was going to surface. Not to kill it, just to dare it off. I don't think they had hopes of killing this hippo. You said they had two inch thick skin? Two inch thick. Oh my god. Yeah, now, no. Yeah, given their sheer size, all a hippo has to do to kill a person is just about step on them. I mean, they're huge. They're over 3,000 pounds. However, those 18-inch teeth pack a punch as well. They can bite with a force about 18,000 PSI, and that's about three times the strength of a lion. They can easily bite a person in half. Dude, we should have released this episode before Halloween. I'm going to have nightmares about hippos now. You know, it might have been more suitable. It's given the Beast of Gévaudan a run for its money. Really is, man. Maybe, maybe that's what the Beast of Gévaudan was. It was just a hippo and they had no clue what they were looking at. Just an escaped hippo. <laughs> it's more realistic than the dragons you were talking about. <laughs> okay, so now that we understand, I'd say it's a bit about the hippo's biology, but it was more or less just how deadly a hippo is. Let's get to its spread in the Colombian rainforest. Yes, let's. So like I said, these hippos were left alone in the lake, mainly due to the hassle it takes to get them out. I mean, now that I explain like how lethal they are, like I'd rather corral a couple zebras or giraffes than a hippo. Yeah. Easy. I think people were just hoping they would kind of die off, but instead they thrived. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. It started off with four hippos that largely stayed within the lake. By 2004, there were about 16 hippos, and they had started spreading out into the Madlena River. In 2014, there were about 40, and they had spread to a nearby town called Puerto Triunfo. And by 2019, there's estimated to be about 100 hippos covering a roughly 870 square mile range. Wow. This seems like small steps, but when you keep in mind it's growing at a rate of about 10% a year, we could reach a population of a few thousand within the next coming decades. Yeah. Also, you really shouldn't be thinking about how inbred these hippos are at this point. You said they started with, what, four of them? Started with four, yeah. I couldn't find anything on that, but I couldn't help but think about these weird inbred hippopotami. Yeah, these hippos are making the Habsburgs look look like responsible genetic managers. Oh my god, they're going to end up looking like just any average dog breed nowadays. Honestly, yeah. Uh, like the have... English bulldog. Yeah, bulldogs have all kinds of breathing problems and like... Don't, I think like golden retrievers have like eye problems and stuff. It's, it's bad. Every dog. Every dog does. That's actually a good topic for another day. But it it's really not is. because we already discussed it. Yep. Yep. It takes away the surprise. I will say, though, contrary to what I said earlier, it's probably a good thing they got rid of the cocaine in the house before they tried to take care of the hippos. Because could you imagine if these hippos had found the cocaine? <laughs> no, they'd destroy everything. I know. They'd level the entire village. They'd just go on a fucking rampage, man. It would be bad. The biggest issue with eradicating these hippos is actually the public outrage. Okay. A lot of locals consider these animals as mascots or even unofficial pets. Why? They just like them. People like, oh, we love the hippos. Everyone really likes them and they think they're cool. And one of these animals actually was shot. It took an entire military squad to bring it in. Like, you can look up a photo. It was shot in 2009. There's like 20 guys standing next to this dead hippo. Oh, my God. Like, that is a military death squad they sent to eradicate one hippo. And there's a huge outcry by the locals. So much that 
an animal rights group actually got involved years later and got a U.S. court to find that the hippos are legally people and have rights. What? I don't even get that article. That's a real article, by the way. You can look it up. First of all, it was a U.S. court that found that these hippos were legally people. Now, I don't know what that judge was on when he made that decision. I'm guessing cocaine. <laughs> Probably. Maybe at the bottom of his Escobar reserve, and he's thinking <laughs> <laughs> nostalgically about the good old days, like, ah, we got to let him be. <laughs> but it is a court in the United States that found that these hippos were people. United States is not Colombia. That's an entire different country. They have no jurisdiction over this. So there's absolutely no point to this law. So, yeah, it's meaningless, right? It was absolutely meaningless. It was nothing more than a publicity stunt. So is it a bad thing at all to have these hippos around? I mean, aside from the fact that hippos are aggressive and like you don't want to be anywhere near them as a person, like, are they doing ecological or environmental damage? Oh, that's a perfect segue. So there's a lot of misinformation about them. And there's quite a few pro-hippo arguments. So I'm going to take my time, go through each argument, and kind of debunk each one and why it's a bad idea to keep those around. All right, let's hear it. So the pro-hippo arguments are, number one, they're actually good for the environment and biodiversity. Number two, the hippos are used to people and are not aggressive. Number three, the hippos don't spread out much. Number four, the hippos can be easily neutered if they become a problem. And number five, they bring in money for tourism. Okay. Now, why are all those arguments wrong? Well, let's start off with number one. So first of all, of all the articles and people I find speaking on behalf of the hippos that they're good for the environment, this is misleading because all the articles that claim they are good for the environment are based off hippos that are studied in their natural habitat, not in Colombia. Big difference. So hippos can be a keystone species. They can actually physically reshape rivers and wetlands, and they do introduce a lot of key nutrients for plant growth in these waters. However, like I said, all these studies come from Africa, where they are native, and thus part of the native ecosystem. They're citing sources where this entire environment has co-evolved alongside the hippos. Of course, they're going to play off each other. The hippos have been there for millions of years. That's yeah. how it's supposed to be. Yeah, okay. It's the opposite case for Colombia. One study found that they could directly compete with the West Indian manatee, which is also a large herbivorous mammal that is endangered. And uh, the hippo is going to be the clear winner of this brawl that could put a strain on the already endangered manatee. In addition to this, because of their territoriality, they pose a threat to some of the giant river otters, also endangered, and caimans, which are a smaller type of crocodilian, kind of looks like an alligator. Okay. Hippos will regularly kill crocodiles in the wild for no real reason at all, just territoriality. They'll just rip them apart. I mean, they don't eat them in the end. They just kill them. So this could easily happen with some of the large native animals to this region, the semi-aquatic ones. Okay, so they're just very disruptive and aggressive. Yes, but there's also the issue of nutrients in the water. Yeah, hippos actually mostly forage on plants on land and around the water's edge. They don't actually eat plants growing in the water, really. Okay, so then if they're not eating plants in the water, how are they competing with the manatees? That's just territoriality. Oh, okay, so they just don't like them around and attack them? I mean, if a hippo is guarding its young and they see a large 
mammal coming toward them, they're probably going to attack it. They don't know what that is. They don't know that it's not a threat, you know? Manatees are pretty docile. Right. Okay. I mean, they're called sea cows. Like, they, they just sort of sit there. They're just sitting there. So hippos introduce a ton of nutrients into the water whenever they poop. And I read somewhere they can eat about 40 kilograms of plant matter a day. So they poop a lot. Yep. That's a lot coming out the other end. This overload can cause hypoxia and eutrophication. So basically, all of the waste in the water triggers a huge growth of stuff like cyanobacteria, which can use up a lot of oxygen and then release toxins. This is also known as red tides when it happens in a marine ecosystem. And Rustin, I'm sure you know that this is bad. Yeah, this this is a very consistent problem in the Chesapeake Bay. But isn't it the actual decaying of that um, that phytoplankton that happens after it dies? Yeah, it's they kind of grow too fast and then they can't sustain themselves or they choke each other out. They die and then that die off releases the toxins. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that that's it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the decomposition that uses up all the oxygen, not the actual growth of the phytoplankton themselves, because they will produce oxygen, but then it all gets used up, and then some when they die and decompose. Yeah, so when this happens, it can just tank an entire ecosystem. Like, look up a picture, or maybe don't look up a picture. Yeah. If you're feeling in a depressing mood, look up a picture of a red tide event aftermath and just look on the shoreline. It's just littered with dead animals. It wipes yeah. out everything. Don't do that right before a meal. Don't do yeah. it right before a meal. Yeah, not a good idea. But this kind of thing has been like documented happening in Colombia, where the yes. hippos are. So it, this actually does happen in Africa sometimes, but those ecosystems kind of rebound from it a bit better. But you right. can definitely have these large die-off events and studies have found that these large fish die-offs will occur downstream from hippos so we know it's from the hippos and this has happened in colombia this has been documented i did find a study on it they're just shitting everywhere and fucking everything up man uh in addition to this they can also make the rivers a lot more murky because they're constantly stirring up sediment so that can make it difficult for plants to grow in the ecosystem. Okay. And that would that would be a problem for the manatees. Yes, that would be a problem okay. for the manatees. When I read that they could directly compete with them, I thought it was just a matter of like space-wise, like get out of my spot. But this would also put a strain on them. And like I said, manatees are endangered. Yeah. Who doesn't love manatees, honestly? You know, they're great. Some people do say that this fish die-off is a trade-off needed to introduce nutrients into the river for plant growth, because you do need a certain amount of nutrients in the water for plant growth. Sure, sure. However, it's found that there's already native mammals that are doing this, like capybaras and tapirs. They already do it. And in fact, there's probably too much of it going on. I'm assuming agricultural use. That's where you get a lot of these red tides from. If there's a lot of cattle in the area, they're probably putting way more nutrients in the water than is already needed. Yeah, those capybaras put in a lot of nutrients when they pull up at the after party. They <laughs> pull up in the after party. So hippos are making this problem a lot worse. They're making it worse. The idea that this is a trade-off, like maybe we need some of these die-offs to promote better plant growth or biodiversity, that's not the case. In their native habitat, maybe, because everything's kind of adapted to it but in this case you don't need that 
there's already animals that fill that role. Right. Right. Okay. And not to mention through these toxic algae blooms, this is also potentially taint water that people and livestock rely on for drinking. Cause this is freshwater. This isn't a marine ecosystem. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's idea one. And no, they're really not that good for the ecosystem or biodiversity. Right. Idea two is that they are used to people and not aggressive. We've already talked about why that's bullshit, right? They aren't used to people. They are no longer afraid of people. And there is a big difference. Oh, okay. Yeah. They are not domestic animals at all. They're not even close to being domesticated. Granted, there is one known as Vanessa at the park, and that will respond to its name and swim over to be fed by tour guides. But they're not tame by any means. Except for Vanessa, kind I, of. Well, Vanessa knows she's getting fed, and I guarantee you they aren't hand-feeding her. Actually, I even saw it happen. It, they feed her on the other side of a giant metal fence. Okay, yeah. yeah, definitely. So not. I already mentioned how deadly hippos could be. I'm not going to beat that dead horse anymore. That's the hippo's job. Yeah, that's the hippo's job when it gets too close to them. With increased interaction with people, it's just a matter of time. As of now, no one's been killed in Colombia. However, one farmer has been attacked. Yeah, and even afterwards, that one farmer when interviewed said he still likes the hippos. What? Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the mentality is. Okay, yeah, that's bizarre. The hippos just don't care about people. That's the thing. They will walk right through the town and streets. They'll hold up traffic occasionally. You can see videos of them just walking through like a town square. As there are more hippos, and as people are stupid, people are going to try and pet or hand feed them. Or, God, they're even going to try and ride the hippos. I saw a video once of a guy, and there is a sea lion, and he put his like infant daughter on the back so she could ride it. What? Thankfully, it didn't bite her. It just bucked her off. But, like, dude, idiot, no. don't do that. That's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. One swift motion and that person could be dead. I cannot stress this enough. These are wild animals. Yeah, I, I'd say so. When a population of large wild animals becomes used to tourists, it usually ends in disaster. And I have an example here. Rustin, have you ever heard of the Uluru dingoes before? I haven't, but I have a suspicion about where this is going. Have you heard the thing away, my baby? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not the best Australian accent. Well, that's where Dingo it comes ate from. my baby. No, that, that's better, but still not great. This is a population of dingoes that became adjusted to tourists and no longer hid from them. And the tourists would regularly feed them. This was back in the, I think it was the 70s. Where it comes from is a dingo just waltzed into a tent, grabbed a baby, and ran off with it. Yep. Prior to this, people saw dingoes walking around like, oh, you know, they're... They're dingoes. They're fine. There have been prior incidents where a dingo casually grabbed a three-year-old from a car. What? Yeah, this happened before the baby was taken. So while hippos are not predators, they are big and they are aggressive. History is going to repeat itself. Yeah, okay. And now that they're adjusted to people, that just means that someone is going to be dumb enough to let themselves get close to the hippo. You know, you're going to see, well, at 20 feet, the hippo doesn't bother me. I'm going to walk up and pet it. Yep. Yep. It's probably not going to be a local either. It's probably going to be a tourist. Also true. You would think that the locals would spend would spend enough time around the hippos and know that you don't fuck with them. 
some of them are very passionate about it. Like I said, they the locals do love oh, the hippos. Right. I'm sure not all of them do. I watched some interviews with a local biologist, and he was quite anti-hippo. As am I, slowly becoming. I think he's got a point. <laughs> and yeah, like I said, just imagine what a farmer is going to do when he finds a hippo just walked into his farm and ate all the crops. You know, because like I said, hippos do most of their foraging on the water's edge or on the land. So what happens when they walk over and just eat all of your corn or watermelons, tomatoes, whatever you're growing? I mean, what are you going to do? That's a hippo. You're going to shoot it? Good luck. Yeah, you'd need like a cannonball to even make a dent. Are you going to try and scare it off? Yeah, good luck there too. The only solution I can think of is maybe you have like, like a watch hippo to keep the other hippos out. But beyond that, no, nothing. We have to train a hippo to fight the hippos. Yes, to beat the hippo, you must become the hippo. Of course. Uh, so, argument three is the hippo population will eventually stabilize. Even though most scientists say their population could be in the thousands over the next few decades, some say that the hippos restrict themselves to certain areas. That's not true. The hippos are going wherever they want. One of the interviews I watched, a biologist mentioned how they went through this huge effort of putting up fences around the park and the hippos just ignored them. They either jumped over them or just Wait, plowed right through jumped them. over them? He said that the hippos were jumping over them. This is the biologist they interviewed. Okay. Now, maybe they just found a low spot. They don't seem particularly agile to me, but that's what he claimed mm -hmm. happened. They definitely got out one no, way or no. another. No, okay. Hippos are already sound scary enough without them being able to just like Michael Jordan a fence. Like... Now, I, the fence wasn't that tall. I mean, this was like a four or five foot fence. Still, that means that the hippo <laughs> has like a four or five foot vertical and I want no part of it. <laughs> you know, maybe they're just using a high jumping technique where they kind of run backwards and then flip over it. And that's just even yeah, more horrifying. Because that means that the hippo landed on, on its head, probably, on the other side of the fence and just got up and, you know, just started trudging along with serious spinal damage. Just nothing. That's They just tank it? I mean, they got two-inch skin? They could, God, who knows what they can take. Yeah, no, that's horrifying. No. Yeah, so they are spreading out. And like I said, we've already documented that their range is increasing. Uh, there's another idea that native wildlife will adapt to hunt the hippos. This is also very unlikely for the reason you mentioned earlier. Even in Africa, home to many large predators, some of the largest predators on Earth today, they fend off most predators pretty easily. It's pretty rare when a lion kills a hippo. Yeah. And if they do, it's usually a young or a sick hippo that is eaten. Right, right. Yeah, what... What predators that already exist in South America are going to evolve to hunt hippos? I don't think anything will. South America does have some big cats, but most of these are smaller than their African relatives, and they're also more likely to be solitary hunters. I believe the biggest they have is the jaguar. But even then, I don't think a jaguar could take a hippo. From what I've seen, jaguars usually eat caimans and capybara, and these are animals that are smaller than the jaguar. Yes. Yes. Although capturing and killing a caiman is no small feat. You got to give the jaguar props for that. Credit given where credit's due. Maybe they can manage a baby hippo that's by itself. Yeah, but no way they're taking on an adult. No also, way. aren't jaguars solitary hunters? They are solitary hunters, yes. So they're not going to pack hunt. Uh, there are smaller 
big cats, not nearly as big as a jaguar in South America, and I don't know if any of them are pack hunters, but I really don't think they would make if lions can barely yeah, take a hippo. Exactly. I doubt they could. That's what I was going to say. There's if a pack of lions that can take down, you know, an elephant or a buffalo can't take down a hippo. There's no way that one jaguar or like a few smaller cats is going to be able to get the job done. In their native habitat, the main population control for hippos, besides, you know, parasites and disease playing a role, is seasonal droughts. Colombia is a rainforest. <laughs> There's, yeah. <laughs> That's not going to be an issue. You've given them the perfect habitat. You've put them in the place where the only thing that can stop them is not there. Yep. You've removed the limiting factor. And one study found that not only are hippos thriving in this area, like I've mentioned before, they are reproducing at younger ages than their African counterparts due to an abundance of resources. Basically, you have plants growing year round. That's great for the hippos. Damn. This is sounding worse and worse the more you talk about it. Argument number four is that the hippos can be easily neutered. I don't have much to say about this other than no, they really can't. How are you going to neuter a hippo? It did happen once. It took a large team to corral and tranquilize it. And then an even larger amount of time for vets to perform the procedure outside on a riverbank in the smoldering heat and rain and bugs. It's not easy. And that's just one of them. That was just one. Uh, this was, again, an interview with a biologist that I saw. They went through all that effort, and they only got one hippo, and it cost $50,000 to take care of one hippo. So this is like a this is a million-dollar problem that you're talking about, if you want to neuter them. Well, as of now, it's estimated there's about 100 hippos. Yeah, yeah, okay, so it's, you know. And they're increasing by 10% a year. So this is a, you know, it's, it would cost millions of dollars to neuter these hippos if that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. And the more you wait, the more expensive it's going to be. Yep. And I saw another source that said it costs about 50 million pesos just to trap and ship one hippo to a nearby zoo. Now, I believe the exchange rate for that actually isn't as much. One peso is not one dollar. Uh, no, that no, no, definitely extreme. not. But still, proportionally, that is a lot of money just to trap and ship one hippo. Yep. Agreed. The last argument for the hippos which I really can't argue against is that they bring in money for tourism. And sadly, this is true. All right. But that doesn't offset the other costs. It doesn't. So like I said, the, a lot of the towns have made this kind of their unofficial mascots. They do bring in money to the park and the local communities as well. There's plenty of merchandise. There's hippo tours. There's feedings, etc. And here's the other thing, too. You're in a rainforest in Colombia. You're telling me there's not already a bunch of other really cool animals that you could showcase that are native you know what i mean that's my main argument not all tourism is good you know if you want to bring in tourism great i understand that is good for the locals and the local economy and i think you should share some of your nature with people but why don't you rely on the animals native to the rivers you have capybaras tapirs manatees otters caimans etc all kinds of huge freshwater fish right exactly these are all just as interesting. Promote these instead. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. 
And not to mention, like, I know the park is largely trying to put the history of Pablo Escobar behind. I don't think you'll ever be able to fully do that. No. But no, definitely. It's still cool in and of itself. Like, it's a giant park. Not like amusement park. It's more so like historic park that also has hippos. I don't even know what yeah. it is. It's kind of its own weird amalgamation of different things. It's cool. I would visit that just knowing that that's where Pablo Escobar's estate used to be. Yeah. If the hippos weren't there at all, I would still go for it. Yeah, you have lots of other options to generate tourism beyond having shit-wrecking giant mammals in your forests. And if you want to keep the hippos, okay, let's build one large proper enclosure for the hippos. You know, like an actual zoological facility instead of just a lake where they can leave whenever they feel like Agreed. it. Agreed. And maybe keep a few. You know, you can maintain a population. These are the cocaine hippos from Pablo Escobar. Make them the focal point. Make them like an area the size of like 18 Olympic swimming pools. Just enclose it. Yep. Yeah. I know it's sometimes easier said than done. Well, then maybe just keep one or two at that point. Like, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I will say, despite the growing population, things are looking better. The Colombian government has finally recognized them as a problem. They are officially an invasive species. Okay. And the government's considering plans to limit the population, such as mass castration, which, like I said, it didn't work the first time. But if there's a huge initiative around it, and maybe a lot of volunteers, and if this is the only compromise and I say you have to go for it, I think hunting these may be off the table due to the public outrage. Yeah. I'd say that's not an option. Also, because how the hell are you going to take down a hippo? Well, like I said, they had a whole military squad in the one photo. Right, so you need to send in, like, SEAL Team 6 to get the job done? You know what? I tell you what. If you made this an option, you know there'd be rich white people going down the Columbia. Oh, I'm sure. There's going to be a dentist in Wisconsin who's going to try and do it. He's going to get, like, a, a bunch of other dentists from the Midwest to go and, you know, kill a hippo. But still... Is that a reference? To yeah, something? there was that. There was a dentist from like Minnesota who went on a hunting trip in Africa and got like absolutely ridiculed by animal rights activists. <laughs> I, I thought he just wanted the teeth. <laughs> I didn't know about that. You're saying it's so matter of factly. I'm like, that's got to be a reference to something. I just don't know. What yeah, it, it was. Is. It was a big deal like four or five years ago. So who knows what the future will hold for these controversial cocaine hippopotamus? Before I go, I'll leave you with two fun facts. Fact number one is that these are currently the largest invasive animal on Earth. Wow. All right. I think it'd be pretty hard to top that. Yeah, because you can't really have like an invasive whale species, you know? Can't have it. I don't know. Maybe we plop a blue whale in like Lake Erie. (laughs) (laughs) Or somehow an elephant gets loose in Texas. I don't think the hippos are going to be top. I'm just imagining like a pod of orcas, you know, coming up around Chicago or Detroit. <laughs> that would be that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> They're attacking all the people that dump the green dye into yeah. the river. <laughs> what a sight that would be. They're putting the dye in the water and you just see this fin come up. <laughs> and fact number two, which I really wanted. I had no good place to put this, but I had to mention it is that in the early 1900s, a bill was proposed in the United States to release hippos in Louisiana. The idea was that they would consume the invasive water hyacinth, 
which probably wouldn't work because, like I said, hippos mainly eat terrestrial or shoreline plants. So the hyacinths actually float in the water. I don't think they would eat them. And they would provide, you know, extra meat for the people living there. You know, people thought they could kind of raise them like aquatic cattle and have hippo ranches. No, no. It actually had a decent amount of support. One of the backers was ex-president Teddy Roosevelt. Was it really? Yeah, he supported the idea. Thankfully, it never took off. I think there are more pressing matters, and I think we can all agree that's probably for the best. Probably. Although, to be fair to Teddy Roosevelt, in a battle between a hippo and Teddy Roosevelt, I at least have to think for a little bit before I pick the hippo, you know what I mean? (laughs) You give Teddy the benefit of a doubt. Yeah. He'd last a lot longer than most of us, let's be honest. (laughs) A lot more than all those Wisconsin dentists. Oh, definitely. Uh, Alternatively, maybe all the hippos are just angry because they have toothaches. Maybe. Maybe they just need a lot of Novocaine. And uh, one final thing, I probably should have mentioned it earlier, that even though I did vilify the hippos a decent bit, they are still an animal. No animal is like outright evil, per se. It's just in the wrong place. And like, yeah, sorry, I you probably have to kill it. It is invasive. But the animal didn't put itself there. Right. Hippos are territorial, but they're just doing what hippos do best. They're guarding their territory or they're guarding their young, even if they are pretty deadly. Right, right. It's not the it's not the hippos fault that they were there. Yes, it's not their fault. Hell, they were shipped over for a drug lord. Yep. Own private zoo. With that in mind, let's transition to my topic. My story will be vehemently anti this species. I hate these things with a passion straight up i'm just gonna say that off the top there are actually a lot of similarities between this species and your hippos that you were talking about i might know where it's going just based off of what i know that you hate and i'm totally gonna blame the animals for this situation because they're pests we're talking about mute swans in the second half of the show okay i thought you're gonna say house cats I i thought about talking about house cats but i didn't want to get our show completely canceled by just on house cats and calling them all kinds of horrible names for 45 minutes and also technically i wouldn't be talking about house cats because i don't have a problem with house cats they're in the house i have a problem with outdoor cats but that's Ah. the point and that's another discussion right now i want to talk about mute swans and i recognize that there are a lot of people like your hippos who do like mute swans mute swans are very well liked even in their invasive ranges People who like the mute swans are wrong. They gotta go. Now. And so, yeah, there's gonna be no shortage of mute swan vitriol over the course of this story. Alright, well, let's get into it. So, just to provide a bit of background on the swans themselves, just in case people don't know anything about them, although most people have an idea of what a swan is. These are very large waterfowl, originally native to Eurasia, where their aggressive behavior is tolerated within the confines of their native habitat. Like the hippos, there are animals and ecosystems that are adapted to deal with their sheer awfulness over there. So they're fine. You know, besides that, like I said, we generally know what swans are. You've seen that one Russian ballet show. They're large white asshole ducks that I don't like at all. But I do want to make a distinction between the mute swan and the native swans that we already have here. We do have two native species of swans, at least in the eastern half of the United States, the trumpeter swan and the tundra swan, both of which actually winter around the Maryland area where Aaron and I live. And I do actually really enjoy seeing those species when they come down the wintertime. 
Can you tell them all apart pretty easily? You can. They're all white. The native species have black bills. And the one species, the tundra swan, is much smaller than the mute swans and the trumpeter swans. And the mute swans have a bright orange bill. So basically, when people, most people around the eastern United States think of a swan, they're probably picturing a mute swan. They're not picturing a native swan. Yes, I I did look up a photo comparing the two, and I'm pretty sure I've only ever seen a mute swan before. Yeah, I haven't seen a like a, a trumpeter swan or a tundra swan outside of like a nature preserve or a specific area where I know that they're going to be in the wintertime. But the native swans are here and they don't cause the same kind of problems that the mute swans do. And I'll get into that in a bit, but I just wanted to make that distinction. All of my hate is directed at the invasive swan species. I wanted to make that clear. Mute swans were introduced to the United States. Like your hippos, they're somewhat unique among invasive species because they were introduced kind of because people thought they were cool. You know, typically if a species is invasive, it kind of got there by accident a lot of the time. Usually people don't like bring a species over because they think it's cool and then it escapes and you know you might be surprised how often that's happened okay but like really what yeah i know uh what is it starlings they're invasive in the u.s right right i read somewhere that you can trace them back i don't know if this is true if you can trace them back to one guy releasing them because he wanted every bird that shakespeare had ever mentioned in one of his plays present in the united states and now there are just too many of them. So that is true. Uh, you're right. You're correct in that. I would also like to go on record and say that that guy is a fucking idiot. <laughs> I don't care about Shakespeare's plays nearly as much as I care about native bird populations. And starlings are wreaking havoc with those. Again, th- there are like three that I could name now. They're the mute swan, your hippos, and starlings. And maybe the northern snakehead are the only invasive species that I can think of that were introduced because people liked them. Uh, well, I guess animal wise, yes. I mean, think any plant that someone put in their front yard because they thought it looked cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I guess plants are elite. Plants are their own league, though. You right. know, no one just releases rhinos because they're like, yeah, I just want them in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, what I was getting at is that usually when people think of invasive species, they think of or at least the image that comes up a lot are things like zebra mussels that got here by accident, um, mm-hmm. you know, just like in the ballast water of ships, tiger mosquitoes or something like that, you know, something that came here unintentionally. Um, that's just a product of, you know, countries and continents being more interconnected by human actions. But yeah, this happened with mute swans. They were brought over here basically because some rich people thought that they looked really pretty and they wanted them in their ponds and parks. Absolute morons keep the mute swans on their side of the ocean of the Atlantic ocean. Do not bring them over here. So do you know where it started? Not exactly. It kind of happened all over the place because people were like, Oh, swans are pretty like this happened in a couple of different areas. Yeah. Like you can't pinpoint it to exactly one spot. There's not like an epicenter here, but predictably the swans bred like crazy um, and decided that they didn't want to stick around. Who knew that animals that could fly would be hard to contain. And so then these swans established feral or wild populations on lakes and estuaries in many parts of the eastern United States. And so we have this ridiculous problem because people thought that swans are pretty and still think that swans are pretty 
And these people are idiots. I'll keep stressing that. The reason they're idiots is because these swans are really destructive to native ecosystems. The primary concern here is that mute swans are really voracious eaters. Uh, one study found that a single swan can eat up to eight pounds of submerged aquatic vegetation per day. That's a lot. Which is a ton. Because, like, these are, again, relatively large waterfowl, but they're still waterfowl. They don't, birds don't weigh that much. Even, like, the, the heaviest flying bird is still, it's, what, 30 pounds? Yeah, it's like, four, it's just over 40 pounds, I think. Yeah, that's still, that's nothing. Yeah, they're eat, they eat a ton of food. And so this problem, this creates two big problems. For one thing, a lot of native waterfowl species rely on that submerged vegetation for their food source. So the mute swans are just stealing their food, and this threatens the native populations. The other problem is that, at least around the Chesapeake Bay, we've taken a lot of steps and measures to try to preserve the submerged aquatic vegetation we have in the bay. Because those grass beds provide really valuable nursery habitat for, among other things, blue crabs and lots of uh, fish species. So without the submerged aquatic vegetation, you know, a lot of those habitats are gone. You know, that threatens the population of really important economic species in this area. And so mute swans just totally disrupt this habitat with their appetites. What's worse is that by some estimates, Mute swans only eat about half of the food that they uproot. What are they doing with the rest? Just throwing at each other? I don't know, but they're just like ripping out grass and they only eat like half of the food that they actually, of the grass they actually dig up. Their impact is, you know, doubled and made that much worse. It's like uh, when your parents tell you to clean your plate and there's still a good bit left. So you're like, "Mm, maybe if I chop it up a lot and kind of spread it around, it'll look like I just really tore into this. Yeah, a little bit. Maybe I won't be held accountable for the rest of it. I guess so, yeah. (laughs) They're they're probably ripping up all this grass, and when no one's looking, they're just tossing it under the table. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're trying to make it, the young swans are trying to make it look like they clean their plate in front of their parents. Um, Anyway, another concern with mute swans, like your hippos, is that they are insanely aggressive. Yes. They are among the most aggressive waterfowl species in the world, which doesn't sound that impressive because most of us don't think of ducks as particularly threatening, but let me finish and you might have a different opinion here. They're really aggressive and this is a main reason that they outcompete native waterfowl species. They're big enough and angry enough, horrible enough, that they pretty much just chase away any other ducks that come near them. So to give you an idea of just how aggressive they are, Canada geese are afraid of them. Actually, I can personally attest to this. I have one come after me. A swan? Yeah, a swan. I was at a city park and there was a nice little cove area where they had like a fake waterfall stacked up and I was just standing there and I had one. It probably spotted me from like a quarter of a mile away, made a beeline straight for me and started jabbing at my feet. I actually got a video of it. I have it saved on Snapchat where every time I put a foot forward, <laughs> you can see an, uh, a head start reaching out, trying to nap at it. Please post that video on Twitter. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I think I have to in conjunction with this. That's a great segue. But yeah, if Canada geese, which are already really aggressive and annoying, are afraid of mute swans, that just gives you an idea of the kind of problem we're dealing with here. 
this aggressive behavior is made even worse during the breeding season when they're protecting their cygnets, you know, their babies. These attacks can be so vicious that Aaron's shoes, among other things, get seriously <laughs> damaged. And there are lots of, you know, lots of articles about how to deal with aggressive swans. And like the instructions that you see in these articles sound like how you deal with a rabid wolf. Like they talk about how you don't want to turn your back and you make yourself look big and intimidating while backing away slowly, you know. All this for a swan? All this for a swan. This is what I'm saying. Like people are legitimately afraid of these things. You know, I have one person tell me uh, they will not be named. This person was informed that the geese could bite and suck the skin off of your arm. Sorry, not the geese, the swans. I hate swans, but they can't quite do that. No, yeah, they, they can't do that. This is just one of those, uh, you know, old wives tales that kind of float around. Yeah, no, that, that's not really a thing. Swans will attack pretty much anything that comes near them or even looks at looks like it's threatening their young. You know, ducks, beavers, dogs, and yes, as you know firsthand, even people. These attacks can be particularly vicious, far more one, than the one you experienced. One swan in Cambridge, England, repeatedly attacked rowers on the River Cam so viciously that the rowers appealed to the queen to have the bird relocated. Was it granted? I think it was. Oh, I was hoping you would say no. I think the queen actually, like, the British government intervened and relocated this bird just because it was so aggressive. They called this bird either, quote, Mr. Asbo and referred to it as, quote, psychotic. They were being... <laughs> That's an official government report. Yes. There are actual articles about this. There's a psycho swan that was terrorizing rowers on a river in England. Now, that's what we need a movie of. <laughs> Psycho Not Swan. Not a <laughs> The Swan. Soon, uh, instead of fins on the water, it'll be those heads sticking <laughs> up. That's what people will equate with fear. Yeah, there's just going to be that shot of a white feather slowly drifting across the water to generate tension. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of a story my dad told me about. When someone got killed by a swan? No, no, it's really not that related, I guess. Well, I'm going to tell it anyway. I already started. Uh, my dad was fishing, and the whole time he saw these two big yellow eyes from like out from under a rock on the other side of the lake kind of staring at him. And he was wondering, he's like, it's got to be a huge fish, maybe a big walleye or a catfish or a big turtle hanging out under there. So he put in all the effort to walk all the way around to the other side, and there was two feathers. <laughs> <laughs> they got caught in kind of an eddy, so they're swirling around. Nice, nice. Another story about swan aggression. There was this bird on a pond in Chicago, attacked a kayaker, and tipped over his boat. The swan then refused to let the man swim to shore, and he drowned as a result. No! No way! An actual swan mortality? Yes. The oh my swan f***ing murdered him. That puts him on the list of deadliest animals. Yes! Yes, it does. Honestly, like, I don't even, they might even make like top 100, you know? Do you want, like, what sharks kill five people a year? Yeah. They're almost at shark level. They just got to pick up four more. Yeah, they really do. You want to know what's most up about this? The guy was there to take care of the swans. No. He was there to try and keep the geese away from this pond and protect the swans. 
and the swan killed him. Killed him? No. I, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. Oh you my god. Literally feeds you. Yes. I feel like a quote from Treebeard is really necessary here. There is no curse in Elvish, Entish, or the tongues of men for this treachery. <laughs> I feel like that's appropriate for these f***ing swans. Don't tell me. Have there been any more swan killings? That's the only one that I could find. I would not be surprised if there were others. Yeah. They are f***ing murderous pieces of shit. Yeah, oh man. And were they native to this lake, or is this one they were invasive in? No, they were invasive. This is in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm concerned, all mute swans in the United States can get castrated and defeathered and chucked back across the pond to the hell where they came from. Sorry. I don't think they want them over there either. Europe is not hell, but they did produce these mute swans, so they, they share a little bit of blame for that. Anyway, this leads to the last part of the story. And in my notes, the heading for this section is just, quote, so why don't we just shoot them? Well, yeah, the, the problem is that mute swans, they're really well liked. People think they're pretty. Unlike some other invasive species that we're taking really serious steps to eradicate, like you compare this to another species called the nutria, which is a rodent that was introduced in the eastern United States for for its pelts. People wanted to hunt it and trap it and, you know, get the pelts off these animals. The nutria then escaped and started going rampant. And they also eat a lot of vegetation in aquatic areas and marshes. And they're really destructive. We've established open season on nutria. Like, if you're a hunter, you can go out and shoot a nutria whenever you want. They don't care. They're like, good, good job. You're helping out. You're doing your part, you know? No limits on nutria? No limits on nutria. Go out and shoot as many of them as you want. We don't do that with, with mute swans, even though they arguably cause similar problems. Maybe in different ways. You know, nutria generally focus on marsh grasses and mute swans focus on submerged grasses. But, you know. Both of those are really important habitats and really important species for our ecosystems, especially here in the Chesapeake Bay. But we don't take the same kind of approach. People think that mute swans are really pretty and graceful and, you know, they're so romantic because mute swans will pair for life. And so there's that aspect of them that grants them a certain amount of public appeal. We actually protect them in some cases. These devil spawn manage to look appealing enough so that people will ignore all the horrible shit that they do and vote to keep them around, basically. There was actually a bill in 2015 in New York State that was going to put in measures to curb their population by doing things like oiling their eggs to prevent them from hatching and castrating some birds, not even like straight up shooting them or killing them. This bill was vetoed by the governor after widespread public outrage. We never learn. I would like to reiterate, this is not a position that is backed by environmental scientists and ecologists who widely agree that the swans are ecologically harmful and should be removed. This is purely based on how people think that they're pretty. So not only are they doing all this damage, I'm assuming they're also competing with native waterfowl. 100%. But that native waterfowl can actually be hunted by people, and these guys can't, which just puts them that much higher up. Yes. We are protecting a harmful, invasive species that has killed at least one person. <laughs> that That's all the PR they need for it. Like, 
This people need to run about it. These swans kill. Not just killed. Killed someone trying to protect them. Yes. That should be a really discouraging for anyone else trying to protect mute swans. They can and will turn on you. Yes. But yeah, that's a, that's 100% correct. You can legally hunt some waterfowl species, but there are protections in place for mute swans. Because people think they're pretty, and people think they're graceful, and want them around, in spite of all the horrible damage that they do, and the fact that they're absolute <laughs> devil spawn. They kill... Oh, I still can't get over that. Yep. That's a true story. I got links. I got articles. I feel so bad for that guy. You know? I really do. He should not have been put in that position. I don't want to speak ill of him. It really is a tragic event. And, you know, I feel bad for him and his and family and what they've gone through. Um, yeah, it is very sad. It's, My it's bad. horrible. Yeah. No, that should just be more encouragement to get rid of these swans. And to put in measures to control their populations and yeah, prevent and the damage. Protect that the they swans do. that we already have. Right. We have swans. Exactly. It's a situation where if you want more swans around, you can have that. We have native swans, some of which have been threatened in the past. They've reached that level of of concern. Yeah. And you know? they still look like swan like yeah. I'm looking at a comparison, and besides the heads. They're still like all white. Yeah, you know? pretty like, much. People like that kind of clean look. It right. still looks the same, more or less. Pretty much every aspect that you would find appealing about a mute swan also exists in our native swan species. Plus, our native swan species, if you ever see them in the wild, they'll produce these beautiful whistling calls that carry across the water or when they're flying around. They basically sound like, you know, some geese that took, like, singing lessons. It's great. It's so amazing. And mute swans are pretty much non-vocal. I don't know why that was a surprise to me. They were called mute swans. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting you to say the mute swans have, like, the most unholy noise produced known to man. I'm like, oh, well. No. Mute. They don't even try. They just sit there and attack anything that comes near them without saying anything. They're terrible and awful and should be chucked back across the pond to europe is there any accounts of people killing native swans by accident um not that i'm aware of well not a swan by accident but they think they're targeting the mute swan specifically oh well i don't that's the thing i don't know that anyone actually targets the mute swans like i said because of how liked they are yeah yeah i guess you're right i know with snakehead occasionally you'll see someone like posted in a fishing group who's like yeah i finally got this bastard and he's holding up a bowfin which is not a snakehead and it is actually a native fish and this guy is so proud that he just shot it with a bow it's like ah oh, dude or vice versa someone posts a picture of a bow <laughs> a bowfin and you get comments saying kill that immediately <laughs> they do look kind of similar i'll give them that right right but Anyway, that's that's pretty much the end of my piece. And hopefully you understand my level of vitriol for these absolute flying pieces of shit that have no place on in, in our continent whatsoever. I'm just thinking we already titled an episode with your bit. It was called an unbridled hatred for Ocean City, Maryland. I don't even know what to call this one. It goes beyond that. Just uh, unbridled hatred but this time in all caps i think i have to do that now 
I, hey, I told you there'd be a lot of anti-Swan vitriol in this. Section yeah, there show. was a lot. I thought it'd be a bit more tame. <laughs> nope, not at all. As soon as I ended with a note, like trying to defend the hippos a little bit, you're like, well, I'm not doing that. No, I, I will say, I, I will say similar things. I'll do apply to the swans that also apply to the hippos. The swans aren't here through any fault of their own, but now that they are here, we should try to make that no longer the case. That's my position. It's not the swan's fault that they're here. Now that they are here, I fucking hate them and think they should be eliminated. Well, it sounds like even when they're native to, they're still causing issues. That one rowing team. <laughs> they are definitely causing issues, but those are issues that those ecosystems are at least prepared to deal with. Ours are not. And so the swans, the mute swans are causing all kinds of problems. All right. Well, on that note, what should we do next time? Here's an idea. Since it's Christmas and all, what if we did an episode on boreal forests, which heavily feature pine trees? Yeah, so like a Christmas episode? Yeah. I had even been thinking about that, and then I thought, like, ah, there's no way Rustin would go for it. I could do a Christmas episode if you wanted to talk about species in the North Pole. Yeah, I think I could do something Arctic. Yeah, let's do an Arctic episode from Santa's hometown. There we go. Yeah, I think we can make that work. So the Arctic slash Christmas episode, that'll be next. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm looking forward to it. You want to take us out? I'll take us out. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a follow and review on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to submit a suggestion for a future episode, you can reach us at souppotpodcast at Twitter or theprimordialsouppot at gmail.com. All right, sounds good. Until next time. I'm Rustin Perret. And I'm Aaron Johnson. Thank you for listening. See ya.